Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, after seven years of this NDP government, British Columbia is now recognized as the most unaffordable province in the entire country. Highest housing and gas prices in North America. Highest average rents in the entire country. Grocery prices going through the roof. And a premier and government that celebrate the fact that they've more than doubled the carbon tax and are planning to triple it over the next six years. But worse, when every other premier in the province echoed my call to eliminate the carbon tax on all home heating fuels, including, by the way, the NDP Numbers. Premier of Manitoba and the NDP opposition leader in Alberta, only this NDP Premier stood up and said, no way, no how. Well, Numbers. let me tell you, Mr. Speaker, Numbers. our Let's plan question, for immediate relief includes permanently eliminating the provincial fuel taxes, saving British Columbians up to 15 cents a litre in gas. It includes stopping the NDP's relentless carbon tax hikes, which are hurting families at a time they can't afford to hurt anymore. Removing the carbon tax from all home heating fuels, scrapping the cost BC plan, which their own numbers show will reduce family incomes by an average of $11,000 a year and reducing grocery bills by making transportation costs more affordable with lower fuel prices and eliminating carbon tax. So my question for the Premier is this, Mr. Speaker. Why does the Premier stubbornly ignore the plight of British Columbians who are struggling each and every day in the most unaffordable province in Britain the country? Premier. Well, thank you. Uh, this is the uh, last day of session, and I want to thank all members. Uh, I know you put in long days, and we've had debate on important bills. Uh, it's been a, a helpful session, I think, to really illustrate the differences uh, in the parties. Uh, we have seen in this session the Leader of the Opposition and the BCUP party stand up and vote against literally every single housing affordability initiative that this government has brought forward. Mm -hmm. Now there is one more opportunity for the Leader of the oppo Opposition to stand up and vote for housing that's near transit that people who actually use transit can actually afford to live in. I hope he takes the opportunity uh, because what we're hearing from British Columbians, what we're seeing come in, correspondence from British Columbians, maybe I'll read just one, about the challenges they face. One of the major challenges is the affordability of housing. I cannot understand how that member can stand up and say he's for affordability and then vote against literally every single affordability initiative. One letter from April. This is to the Minister of Housing. Good evening, Minister. We wish to extend our gratitude for the opportunity to attend and speak at the announcement of small-scale and multi-unit housing regulations. As you're aware, we've been advocating this for this within our neighbourhood and our city. We deeply appreciate your dedication. A letter from Althea. I want to thank you for the hard work you've been putting in on building more housing for the people of British Columbia. As a renter in Victoria, my husband and I struggle with the cost of housing, especially housing near good transit. Hi, Minister Kalon. I feel it was important to express my support as these policies often receive pushback from the different sectors, and I wanted to try to counteract that with my voice from Costanza. I could go on, Honourable Speaker. I hope I have the opportunity to. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The problem is their so-called hard work has actually got us the most 
unaffordable housing in North America, not just Canada, they stretch higher. North America, imagine that. And actually, uh, it's interesting that the Premier reads out some letters uh, and some comments. Well, I'd just like to quote a great former Premier of British Columbia, Mike Harcourt. His comments about the uh, bills that you introduced include a blizzard of arbitrary measures, arbitrary top-down changes, setting aside years of local and regional infrastructure and service plan, and this is my personal favourite, providing a field day for land speculators. So that's actually what other people are saying. Perhaps the Premier should listen to a lot of people who have a lot of experience uh, and understand what's happening. But you know, I've said from day one, Mr. Speaker, that we must hold governments and politicians accountable, not for what they promise, not for the announcements and photo ops, but for the results they actually get for British Columbians. And right here, instead, we've got a Premier that focuses on big and shiny announcements to distract the public. Why would they? Well, healthcare, worst outcomes we've ever seen. Sending patients, amazingly, down to the United States to get basic cancer care. Housing, as I said, the most unaffordable in the country. Gas and rents, highest in North America, not very good results. Crime, well, under the Premier's Catch and Release program, we've got chaos and disorder on our streets. And so, again, to the Premier, when will the Premier stop scrambling for big and shiny distraction announcements and focus on getting actual results for British Columbians? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I'll, I'll just remind the Leader of the Opposition that when he was on this side of the House, his government funded 140 units of student housing in 16 years. Members, mem members, 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 Mr. Two-Way Street, please. If you want to hear the question, we also have the responsibility to hear the answer, please. Okay. Honourable Speaker, I saw them Thank take you. credit for Brock Commons at UBC. They funded less than 4% of that project, that 400-unit project. Guess they, they took credit for funding 400 units, Honourable Speaker. Uh, so we're building uh, 8,000 units of student housing. We've increased our own targets to 12,000. That's just one example. But uh, I heard the member mention Mike Harcourt. Uh, I love Mike. He's a fantastic guy. He's an advisor and a mentor to me. He's a leader of our party. And Mike bought a piece of property in Vancouver, and he tore down a single-family house, and he built a duplex. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is the duplex cost $4 million, and he had to hire an architect to do it, and he had to go through lengthy processes to do it. And the problem is we can't have duplexes just for the rich. We have to have affordable, middle-income townhomes, duplexes, multi-unit construction for everybody. Members, members, and members, 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 members. Sorry, hearing from the member of Abbotsford West about property speculation, a bit rich, Honourable Speaker. So, the, the, if the member wants to get into member, member for Member for Abbotsford West, there's no need to, please. No, if the, if the he has the floor. No. Member, member you're, member, you're wasting your own time. Okay, keep talking, then we'll wait when you're finished. Now, there was a Delta city councillor uh, last night uh, that stood up 
and spoke out despite his historic affiliation with the BCUP, Dylan Kruger. He said, big problems need big solutions. Kudos to the province for listening to the voices of housing advocates across Canada and getting this done. This legislation removes arbitrary barriers to new housing supply in local neighbourhoods. No more time capsules. Let communities evolve. And then Sim Simrath Graywall quote tweeted Dylan and said, quote, Dylan and I have been friends for years, so I'm going to share some advice with BC Poly that I give myself. Usually in retrospect, I should listen to Dylan more. Uh, I think we should all listen to Dylan. We should be advocating for more housing for British Columbians that they can actually afford. I hope the member votes for the transit-oriented housing because it will ensure people who use transit can actually afford to live close to transit. Member for Prince George Wilmot. Seven years and two elections, and BC has one thing that we are 100% certain of, and the Premier failed to read that out of his yellow folder. You, the, the Premier has actually managed to attain the most dubious distinction of having the least affordable housing in North America. That is fact, and that is on this Premier's watch. In the face of over 500 announcements by the NDP, what are we seeing? Housing prices are going up and housing starts are taking a nosedive. So this government released a flurry of bills this session, and yet they refuse to, re with, with, uh, to release critical information. We've actually heard from Jens von Bergman, the very person who did the government's own modeling, that says they have been silenced by non-disclosure agreements. In other words, oh. no, you can't talk about that. Not only can we not finish the debate on the bills, apparently you can't talk about the work you've done for the government. Straight up question to the Premier. He could say yes today. Will he do the right thing and remove the non-disclosure agreements so that British Columbians can understand exactly what this government based this legislation on? Yeah, yeah. Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. There has been lots of discussion on housing, as there should be, because we know that there are many people that are struggling to find homes in British Columbia. Uh, we have said that many times. We've heard that from people in our communities. That's why we've taken the significant efforts that we have to ensure that we can get that housing built in our communities. Uh, I've shared with the members that uh, the economic analysis will be released publicly so that everyone can see the impacts of the legislation changes that we've made. Honourable Speaker. But, you know, the member says, uh, you know, take his word for it. Neil Moody, the CEO of the Canadian Home Builders, said, the legislation introduced today will make it easier and more predictable for BC home builders to work with local governments to speed up approval process and increase the variety of housing choices in our growing neighbourhoods, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the, um, and not only the home building community thinks that this is going to help us get more housing, environmental groups who are advocating for more healthy, vibrant communities. Uh, organization Happy Cities has said, to solve the housing crisis, we need a province-wide effort to build more diverse housing options, both market and non-market. Legalizing multi-unit housing everywhere is an important first step to creating healthy, walkable, connected, and resilient communities. Honourable Speaker, that is what we're fighting for, and we're going to continue to do that work. Leader of the third party. 
Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I was so uh, enraptured uh, with the uh, debate there. Uh, the cost of living is soaring in this province, and people are slipping closer and closer towards homelessness every day. More than 100,000 households in BC pay more than 50% of their income on rent and utilities. This is a crisis-level amount. In my riding, people with developmental disabilities and low-income seniors are being forced into homelessness. Food banks are increasingly ser serving people who are working full-time and still can't make ends meet. How is this government responding to this crisis? Inadequately, to say the least. A new approach is needed. The Basic Income Expert Panel made it clear that the current social assistance program in BC is punitive and ineffective. It traps people in poverty rather than lifts them out. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. Has this government implemented any of the recommendations from the 2020 Basic Income Panel Report? Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to the member for the question. It was the uh, uh, agreement uh, between uh, both the Green Party and the NDP um, in the historic confidence and supply agreement that initiated the uh, expert review panel on basic annual income. Um, it is a rich document that is being uh, implemented across government in many pieces, uh, particularly in its basic conclusion being that raising uh, income assistance rates for the people most in need uh, was the very first thing that this government has done. And that's why we've increased income assistance rates five times after them having been frozen for a decade under the previous government. The, many of the recommendations have been built into the uh, ex extensive uh, public um, uh, consultation that has, uh, we were legislatively required to do in order to update our second poverty reduction strategy. We'll be bringing the results of the poverty reduction strategy uh, into this House in the spring, and I believe the member will see many of the recommendations that remain of the expert review report um, embedded in that work. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Unfortunately, in this province, we have a poverty increasing uh, strategy that seems to be underway. People are more and more falling into deeper and deeper po poverty in this province. And the social assistance program forces them into stigma and shame. It treats them as though they don't deserve to get assistance. It makes the, the hurdles and the hoops that they jump through almost impossible for so many people. They often are, give up in despair. This government has failed, and more and more people are dying of poverty and inequality. They had years to act with urgency that this, this crisis requires. Instead, they provide one-off checks, insufficient rebates, and flashy announcement. For a government that's supposed to care about people, why have they continued to fail to make a fundamental difference in the lives of people who need it the very most? My question is to the Premier. When will his government fully implement the recommendations for basic income for women fleeing violence, for youth aging out of care, and for people with disabilities? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, that British Columbia was the last place in Canada to have a poverty reduction strategy was something that we remedied when we first formed government. We have been implementing um, across government from investments in childcare to minimum wage to unprecedented investments in affordable housing, not to mention increasing income assistance rates five times already 
doubling the senior supplement um, and, and, and much more to do because absolutely the impact of global inflation has hit people very hard. I want to also though say how important our investments in employment have been. Uh, for me, because my ministry funds it in cooperation with the federal government, to be able to visit, for example, uh, commercial truck driving training uh, programs in Prince George, to meet uh, two women, um, Jordan and Amanda, who are getting a tr were funded um, to leave their homes and families to get new training, uh, to then have the training, uh, the course paid, and they're now both uh, commercial truck drivers in the north something that is badly needed, that is embedded into our income assistance program too. That's something that the basic annual income panel asked us to do. That's work we're doing right now and we will continue. Leader of the fourth party. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We're hearing a lot about affordability today, but the carbon tax is one of the pieces I think that strikes at the heart of many people. And as we see from polling, the majority of people in this province wants to get rid of it. The carbon tax, when you're filling up a, a tank of gas of 60 litres, equates to about $16 at, uh, when, uh, when gas is at $2. Just to put that into perspective of what that means, for British Columbians that are going to Costco, that's the equivalent to buying two rotisserie chickens. Hundreds of thousands of British Columbians are struggling just to put food on the table. They're struggling with the difference between being able to, to uh, afford food or gas. <clears throat> They're flocking to food banks as prices continue to rise. So perhaps to the Premier, can you explain why these families are struggling to make ends meet? And will he commit to getting rid of the carbon tax that is taxing two chickens out of every family's pot every single time they go to fill up the tank of gas? Premier. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the member for the question. Um, it's, it's, this is a challenging uh, issue. You know, how do you uh, discuss sensible climate policy with a member that doesn't believe that human-caused climate change is real? How do you discuss how to address this issue of our forests burning, our rivers drying up, uh, the pine beetle overwintering, uh, the atmospheric rivers, uh, farmers struggling with drought, with a member who thinks that carbon dioxide is not a pollutant? Um, how do you have a sensible discussion about how British Columbia shows climate leadership and seizes the economic opportunities like the 450 families supporting jobs in Maple Ridge at the new battery plant or at the refinery in Prince George, Canada's first renewable diesel facility? How do you have a sensible conversation in this place when the member doesn't even believe that climate change is real? His opinion is that we should do nothing on climate. And that opinion, despite the fact that it got kicked out of the BCUP caucus, is now the official position of the BCUP as well that we shouldn't take climate action. And so I see that he's an influential guy. But if your opinion is that we should take no action on climate change, then you really do need to explain the impact on British Columbians of fire, of drought, of flood, that are costing literally billions of dollars to taxpayers here in this province, right across Canada and around the world, um, why you would abandon our climate leadership position, why would you abandon our economic growth, and, uh, and frankly, how can you justify your position on climate change? Leader of the Fourth Party Supplemental. 
Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And uh, I find it incredible that this Premier actually believes that taxing people into poverty can change the weather. I mean, seriously. How can anybody take this government's position serious when that's what they believe? But you know what, Mr. Speaker? The NDP used to be the party of the working class Let's people. Let's hear the question, please. They used to be the party of the working class people. Matter of fact, I think it was uh, Tommy Douglas who once promised a chicken in every pot. And here we are, the Premier standing up, defending a tax that is actually literally taking two chickens out of every family's pot every time they fill up this tank of gas. So, Mr. Speaker, will this NDP please explain to British Columbians why, when they're living paycheck to paycheck, what are they supposed to do when they have to put food in the pot, when they're waiting for the end of December to be just get their carbon tax rebate? Premier. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the member stands up and pretends to be interested in affordability. He's also voting against our housing initiatives to provide affordable housing for British Columbians. He says, I, I assume he's got some kind of a position about the floods and the forest fires and the impacts we're seeing in British Columbia and around the world as we set record high temperatures about what British Columbia should do about that or how we embrace opportunities like hydrogen, uh, uh, battery manufacturing, other clean economy. Uh, it's just hard to know what it is. And honourable speaker, he stood, he stood on this side of the house supporting the carbon tax every single day as a BC Liberal before he flipped over to that side. If it was a good idea when he was over here, why is it suddenly a bad idea when he's over there? We're returning carbon tax revenues back to uh, British Columbians uh, to make sure that they're supported uh, that uh, around affordability. But what we can't do is give up on climate action, pretend that climate change isn't real, cover our eyes and our ears and, 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 uh, and insist uh, that now is not the time, because now is the time, Honourable Speaker. And British Columbia will continue to lead on this, and we will be the party that stands up for climate action and affordability and housing and is the only option for British Columbians if they want action on this. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Eve Castingay is a prolific offender with 150 convictions, including 50 property crimes, 24 crimes of violence, anti-Asian hate graffiti, public incitement of hate, and three dozen breaches. He recently added to his criminal record by brazenly robbing the Granville Street London Drugs in downtown Vancouver and threatening staff. Within 48 hours of his crime, he was back at it, breaking into an apartment building on West 8th and Canby. Then he was caught on camera in yet another break and enter. Time and time again, it's the same story of this Premier's catch and release regime until this prolific offender escalated to violence, pulling a knife and breaching his probation. This week, we found out the consequence of his string of thefts, threats, break-ins and violence. He got one day in jail. Just one day. When will this soft on crime premier finally admit that his catch and release regime has utterly failed and start treating all crimes seriously with real consequences? Attorney General. Thank you. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their communities. Um, as a government, we've been taking specific and direct action on repeat violent offending in this province. We have the strictest bail policy in Canada. 
We've been advocating and taking a leadership role across the, this country because we see that the criminal code needs to be changed around repeat violent offenders so communities can feel safer and that courts have the tools necessary to keep repeat violent offenders off the street. Mr. Speaker, I'll continue my advocacy. I've told that that bail reform passed in the Senate yesterday and the day before. It's now before the House. This government will continue to push for the federal government to pass that bail reform so we have better tools for repeat violent offending. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the NDP promised to eliminate all portables in Surrey in four years, but instead they've done the exact opposite. We now have more portables in Surrey than ever before. Double-decker portables are on their way, and kids are already forced to use portable toilets. And now Surrey schools are considering more drastic and desperate measures. A survey presented to parents outlines disruptive options such as uprooting students to other districts, dividing the school day into shifts, and abandoning traditional classroom learning. My question is to the Premier, how can he excuse his abject failure to deliver on his promises to parents, and will he outright reject these extreme options that are putting incredible stress on Surrey families? Minister of Education. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and uh, thank you to the member for the question. And uh, I'm really glad that the uh, member opposite is asking about Surrey, because while they were in the government, they were not, uh, uh, they were not uh, looking at the needs of the Surrey. Uh, we know that Surrey is the fastest growing community. Uh, in the last, yeah, in the last four years, while they were in the government, there was zero school built in Surrey. But we, we, as a government, Mr. Speaker, we are doing things differently. Since 2017, we have invested $700 million in, in the school, in school capital. Let's hear the answer, please. Continue. In the school capital. We have six new schools, seven new additions, and we are like building more schools. At the same time, Mr. Speaker, I understand the growth that, uh, that our communities are facing. And it is not just Surrey, it is like many other communities, like Langley, Souk, many other communities. And we, uh, as a government, are committed to look at those needs, and that's why we are coming up with innovative ideas. Just last week, I announced the new way, uh, like how we can build more, how, how we can bring more classrooms to our school communities, and Thank we you. are looking into the prefabricated classroom, looking at different ideas, and we will keep on working with the school districts to resolve this issue. Member for West Vancouver, Sea to Sky. Mr. Speaker, NDP red tape is creating a crisis among search and rescue teams across this province. Initially, given two weeks to agree to yet-to-be-written regulations, the deadline hastily extended last night, the NDP's top-down approach threatens the ability of SAR teams to respond to emergencies this winter. The teams have serious concerns about government overreach, unrealistic deadlines, and bureaucratic interference in volunteer rescue operations. The bottom line is if they don't sign on by the government's arbitrary deadline, they can't be deployed. Why is the Premier compromising SAR team's readiness, and will he stop the overreach and let critical volunteer teams operate without the strong overreach of the government? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you.
Thank you, uh, Honourable Member, and I thank the member for the question. And, uh, what I can assure the member is that this government remains committed to working with search and rescue teams to ensure that they have the tools that they have done. That's why this government took the unprecedented step to ensure long-term sustainable funding for search and rescue teams across the province, Honourable Speaker. Uh, first of its kind in the province. So that's why, Honourable Speaker, we will continue to work with search and rescue teams to ensure that they've got the tools that they need and that, uh, that, 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 we, that we work in and, and will address our concerns. House Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. After seven years and in, <clears throat> in two elections, BC. <clears throat> it's choking, huh? Last question of the session. It's so devastating. <laughs> BC has the least affordable housing in North America. Have some water, member. Drink some water. We have the highest gas prices, the highest gas taxes. The cost of groceries is through the roof, and cancer patients are being sent out of the country by a healthcare system in collapse. And the Premier loves to admit how bad things are, but never seems to fix it. It's the political equivalent of letting the dishes soak and claiming you were going to get to them eventually. Well, Premier, <clears throat> we don't want bright and shiny announcements. We want results. That's why I was looking forward to an update from the Select Standing Committee on Public Accounts in monitoring the results achieved by this government. So my question is to the Chair of the Select Standing Committee. Let's, let's get it. My question is to the, uh, to the Chair of the Select Standing Committee, Public Accounts. Has a date been set for MCFD to appear before the committee to provide an update on the status of implementing recommendations from the report on oversight of contracted services for children and youth in care? Wow, that's important. Member for Cambridge, North Thompson. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And, and unfortunately, um, the government might not like the answer. Well, they probably do like the answer that will be coming. So on November 6th, uh, the Public Accounts Committee received the report of an update from uh, the Auditor General on that date uh, with unanimous support of both government and opposition members. Uh, we agreed that we would call back MCFD to explain to the committee why zero of the four recommendations that were leveled uh, by the Auditor General back in 2019, uh, three of which actually deal with Indigenous youth in care, had not been actioned at all. Um, unfortunately, at last night's meeting on November 29th, the government members decided that we don't need to hear from MCFD and have them explain why there's been zero action taken on the audit results for Indigenous youth amount. in care. Uh, it's troubling because the government does obviously control the committee with the numbers, and despite pleas from uh, the opposition members uh, to still hear from uh, MCFD on the public record, have the public be informed what is actually happening in an agency that we've heard repeatedly through this session and by multiple other reports other than the Auditor General, is failing 
to meet the needs, the basic needs, of youth in care, especially Indigenous youth in care. So unfortunately, at this point, although we had MCFD engaged to present to the committee in the end of January, and although preliminary dates were already found in the calendars uh, to make that happen, uh, the government last night, in another act, frankly, of, of making sure there's not transparency in this place, decided that public accounts can no longer do the most basic work they do, which is actually scrutinizing the progress of audits by agencies within the government. So unfortunately, to the member's question, uh, there is no date to hear from MCFD and their utter failure in regards to youth in care and Indigenous youth in care because this government, frankly, does not want to have any, any discussion around those failures. The bell ends the question period.